from the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. Welcome to this special podcast episode sponsored by Alcon. We would like to thank Alcon for sponsorship of the iWorld Industry Spotlight. On this episode of As Seen From Here, I'll be speaking with Terry Kim about advanced cataract surgery technologies. We're going to be talking about a number of new technologies, and I think that the best way for us to break things down is to talk about the deficiencies that these new technologies address. So let's start out with intraocular lens design. What is the deficiency in in current multifocal lens design? This newer generation of multifocal lens, which is called trifocal IOL technology, allows us to fill fill some of the gaps that have occurred with previous iterations of presbyopia correcting intraocular lenses. And that includes good quality of distance vision, which we've lacked in some previous versions, most specifically the first generation multifocal lenses. Secondly, we fill the gap of good near vision that you've lost or perhaps not focused on with the latest low-ad multifocal or extend up depth of focus lens, and also providing at the same time good intermediate vision, which we lost in the, again, the first generation of multifocal lenses. And I guess the best way to kind of show this uh, is looking at the binocular defocus curve uh, for this trifocal lens I'm talking about. I'm talking about the panoptics lens that was just recently FDA approved and launched in the United States in September of this year. And if you look at this curve, you can see that the distance vision and the near vision are 2020 um, and excellent quality. And historically, you used to see a dip in that middle of that binocular defocus curve for the intermediate distance which is about 60 centimeters or 24 inches, and near is defined as 40 centimeters or 16 inches. But if you look at the panoptics binocular defocus curve, you can see that distance, intermediate, and near are all 20-20, especially for that 60 centimeter or 24 inch distance. So it really covers the full gamut of the range of vision I think patients are looking for when they're looking for a true presbyopia correcting lens that gives that good intermediate near without sacrificing the quality of distance vision. So I'm excited about this advanced technology. I've had a chance to utilize it in my practice, and so far I've been very pleased uh, with the results. Terry, uh, you you mentioned clarity of vision, and, and, as, and as ophthalmologists, I mean, that that's what we talk about most. Uh, but a lot of what, what concerns patients is things like visual quality, contrast sensitivity, the things that are described by the modulation transfer function curves. How much, uh, how, how does the, the panoptics lens uh, split light coming in, in terms of the amount that it dedicates to distance vision, to intermediate vision, to, to, to near vision? Right. The allocation for this lens is going to be 50% distance, 25% intermediate, and 25% near. But I think it's important to note that this lens represents the highest total light utilization at a 3 millimeter pupil size compared to previous generation multifocal intraocular lenses, and that number is 88%. So a very high utilization of that light, which is why both in the clinical trials and I think as has borne out with clinical experience, 
Uh, you see patients experiencing a very good quality of distance, intermediate, and near vision with a very high satisfaction rate. In fact, if you look at some of the trials that Alcon performed with this lens, um, with, let's say, data collection six months postoperatively, it was over 99% of patients uh, who were satisfied and would have the same lens implanted again. So we're seeing some numbers here that we haven't seen in previous generation multifocal lenses, and hopefully this is going to lead to better results, better outcomes, and happier patients. And hopefully, Josh, the goal is to move that needle uh, in terms of market share of perspective correcting lenses in this country, which is really kind of stayed stagnant at about the 9%, 10% level. It'd be great if we can really finally offer a lens that's safe and effective, provides good outcomes with minimal side effects to more patients so they can enjoy a better range of vision. Terry, I have put in multifocal, bifocal lenses and EDOF lenses, and I'm, I'm compulsive with the way that I center lenses. I've never put in a, a trifocal lens. Is yes. there anything special that one has to know um, about implanting or centering or something else with, sure. the, with the trifocal lens that's different from a, from a regular multifocal? I don't think it's much different, but with the Panoptics trifocal lens, I think a few differences. You're going to notice the uh, 4.5 millimeter um, non-apodized diffractive zone. It's going to look different than what you've seen with the previous generation of multifocal lenses. Um, this array of the eyelets that you'll see or the array of the rings is quite unique in terms of its design. And because of that 4.5 millimeter diffractive zone, it's going to be much less dependent on pupil size, which has been an issue in the past where you kind of had to have a smaller pupil for it to function and give uh, better near. You won't see that with this design. But the central optic or the central button is going to be larger than you've seen in previous generation, at least restore multifocal eye wells, and which I think gives it some of its forgiving characteristics. But in general, my advice is to use patient fixation and use that first Purkinje image on the cornea to center this lens. Um, and so I recommend uh, taking uh, the patient under the microscope after you've um, implanted the lens. So what I recommend in terms of IOL implantation and centration with the panoptic lenses, after this single piece lens is implanted into the capture bag, I usually rotate the haptics to 12 and 6 o'clock because usually these lenses ending up, end up being shifted towards the nasal uh, quadrant about a third of a millimeter on average. And that's a very uh, average figure that I'm giving you. But then I like to take my IA tip and go beneath the IOL to make sure I aspirate any residual viscoelastic that can potentially cause a myopic shift. Uh, and even more importantly, if you have a panoptics toric that you're putting in, uh, it can cause that toric lens to rotate if you have residual viscoelastic. So I think that's a very important maneuver. And then lastly, after I uh, secure the wound through my paracentesis incision, I adjust the centration of the lens so that the microscope light reflex is centered on the center optic of that lens. So I ask the patient to simply fixate. If you're using a Zeiss uh, Lumira microscope, it's usually three lights. I have the patient fixate in the center of those three lights, and then I align the center of my IOL optic along with that microscope or 
a reflex and its corresponding Purkinje image. Terry, every time that I do surgery, I'm impressed with the improvements, particularly in things like anterior chamber control, that have frankly really increased my confidence as a surgeon. I understand that there are even newer advances. Can I can I get you to talk about that a little? Absolutely, uh, Josh. We're definitely going to see. Um, you know, I agree with you. By the way, uh, we're always seeing advancements made in phaco technology, and we always want to get better. And we've seen certainly the latest iterations providing excellent performance. But with the Centurion Vision System, there are going to be some important advances that are going to further improve not only interchamber control, but other uh, aspects of the procedure, one of which is called the um, Active Sentry Handpiece. It's going to be the first and only FACO handpiece that has a built-in fluidics pressure sensor in the actual handpiece. So instead of having it in the FACO unit, you're going to have it closer to the eye, which is really going to sense much more real-time and much more realistically, the actual fluidics that are going on in the eye. So it's going to detect pressure in real time and be able to respond to that much more quickly, which is going to lead to better anterior chamber stability and less surge. And I think that's going to lead to better um, anterior chamber stability as a whole for both straightforward and complex cases. I think the other advance that has then a very nice addition to the Centurion Vision System is the Intrepid Hybrid Tip. And this is a tip that actually has a rounded polymer edge, much, much like the polymer tip you see for the IA, and it's designed to re- reduce the risk of capsular tears. So it's a very unique design that's still on the balance tip, the Intrepid Balance Tip, and it's going to be able to address nuclear densities up to 3+, plus, but have the added safety of minimizing the risk of a capsule tear because of its smooth, rounded polymer edge. I really enjoy using the Intrepid Transformer IA handpiece. That has been a new advance in IA technology, and this is essentially a disposable IA tip that has the rounded polymer tip that's very safe to the posterior and anterior capsule, but it allows you to switch seamlessly from coaxial to bimanual IA. And the reason why I think this is valuable is certainly for complex cases, whether you have loose zonules um, or if you have, you know, difficult chambers where it's difficult to access the cortical material, it can be very helpful. I found it to be very helpful in femtosecond laser-assisted cataract cases, and I do quite a bit of these. And Anybody that's done some cases know that unlike manual FACO, where you actually have the finger-like projections that extend past the edge of the anterior capsulotomy that are easy to grab for cortical removal with the IA tip, these cortex fibers are cut by the femtosecond laser. So you have a clean edge after you remove the nucleus, and it's much more difficult to access the sub-incisional cortex because of this. So this is a great way to utilize as transformer or intrepid transformer eyepiece because you simply, when you are done doing the 270 degrees of cortex removal, if you want to do it coaxially, you can then switch to bimanual and very easily through your paracentesis incision access the sub-incisional cortex with this and not have that be an issue. So I think it's been a 
really nice um, advance in IA technology to be able to have this you know, seamless transition between the two approaches to IA. And the last piece is the UltraCert preloaded IOL package from Alcon that allows the lens to be implanted by simply filling the disposable one-handed preloaded system with a cohesive viscoelastic, removing the protective manual tabs and implanting it directly into your capsule bag without having to touch the lens. Uh, we're still in an academic teaching environment where either the nurse or the resident or fellow loads the lens and it's not infrequent that you actually see scratches of the lens or appropriate loading of the lens that make the lens implantation more, more challenging uh, and also increases the susceptibility of damage to the IOL. So I think this is a nice advance, and we've done some studies to show that it also actually saves some time as opposed to doing the manual loading and inserting. Terry, I'm glad that you brought up the topic of femtosecond cataract surgery, probably like you. I, I, I perform the, the, the great majority of all of my cataract surgery by means of femtosecond laser. So it's a bit hypocritical for me to ask what I'm going to ask next, which is what is the deficiency in traditional FACO that femto addresses? I also do a high percentage of my cases with FEMTA, but I, I wouldn't necessarily call it the deficiency in traditional FACO. I mean, I think traditional FACO uh, has been fine and a very great and efficient way to approach lens removal. However, I do think that femtosecond laser technology does offer some advantages uh, over traditional FACO, and I'll cite you some examples. One is be able to perform a capsulotomy in a closed system. So you're familiar with the Argentinian flag sign that you can get from a mature cortical cataract due to the, you know, density or maturity of this lens. You have an expanded capsular bag, and when you stain it with trifan and start your capsulotomy or capsulorexis, you can see it extend very quickly. So performing a femtosecond-assisted capsulotomy in a closed system in this scenario really protects you from having this extension. Plus, you know, there's no way in that any manual uh, approach can reproduce the consistency in terms of size and shape uh, of the capsulotomy uh, compared to manual uh, cases. So um, I think this is relevant, for instance, when you're putting in premium lenses where you want a nice 4 to 4.5 millimeter capsulotomy that you can make sure there's overlapping edge of that single piece uh, lens so you have good intraocular lens stability and less chance for movement. Um, and then I think another feature of femtosecond that's underappreciated is the lens, lens fragmentation portion. Uh, many times I have a very dense cataract, and especially those that have that leathery posterior plate, where whether you're performing a a groove, a sculpt, uh, divide and conquer technique, or a vertical or horizontal chopping technique, there can be difficulty and unpredictability in disassembling that lens. It may be because that uh, posterior leather plate doesn't fracture, or maybe just because the lens is so dense, you know, it takes multiple maneuvers to remove it. So I like the benefit of having uh, a lens fragmentation pattern that really helps disassemble the lens and creates planes that you can use your chopper with to fracture the lens in a much more predictable and reliable manner uh, that leads to, I think, more efficient 
and Safer Lens Removal. In fact, Zoltan, Nagy, and others have published that with femtosecond laser, you have decreased FACO time and decreased FACO energy for these cases, which can be very relevant for patients who have perhaps Fuchs dystrophy uh, where you want to decrease the amount of stress on the corneal endothelium. And lastly, I think another benefit of femtosecond laser is its ability to perform arcuate relaxing incisions to reduce corneal astigmatism. And I think these are certainly, I think, at least in my hands, much more reliable than performing manual uh, relaxing incisions or astigmatic keratotomy incisions. Terry, can you talk to me about the OCT system that's incorporated into the LensX laser? Yes, absolutely. So part of the process after you dock uh, the patient for the femtosecond procedure is there are a few maneuvers you have to do and centering your capsulotomy and your uh, relaxing incisions, although now they have an automated centration button that you can use. But then you do have to go through the steps of making sure that all the marks uh, that are set for femtosecond are, are aligned. And one feature that I really like is you're shown a intersegment OCT image, which gives you a very nice view of a few features, a few characteristics that are, I think, very relevant to the cataract surgeon. One is anterior chamber depth. And I've been quite surprised in some cases where I see an anterior chamber depth of sometimes a millimeter or less. And this tells me and anticipates a more careful approach because in these anterior chambers that are shallow, you know that it's more crowded and there's a higher risk for that anterior capsule to radialize during capsulotomy, uh, which is, again, another benefit as we talked earlier about doing capsulotomy in a closed system. The other thing I like is it shows you uh, kind of the lens thickness, and you can actually kind of measure this through that intersegment uh, image that you get. So although I don't typically, in my mind, measure how deep I can go, but it certainly gives me a, a perspective and a reference, some type of reference in how thick that lens is, so I have a general idea uh, how much of a cushion I may have during my chop procedure or during my uh, sculpting procedure if I'm doing divide and conquer. Terry, one of the concerns that cataract surgeons have who are not currently doing femto is the degree to which it's going to interfere with their OR workflow. What is your femtosecond OR workflow? Well, right now, I perform the majority of my phaco procedures in an ambulatory surgery setting where I have one femto room and one cataract room. So I really just alternate right back and forth. So I'll perform my phaco, have that patient go into the operating, complete the procedure, then I go on to my next phaco procedure. After that, I have a chance to talk to the patient and family from the first case, make sure everything's all set, and so on and so on. And this has actually been a very nice flow because our nursing staff are excellent at this ambulatory surgery center, and they really make sure that the flow is seamless when I'm going back and forth between the femtolaser laser room uh, and the operating room. And I think there are different models from this. Some folks will maybe do two, fo two patients in the femto room and then kind of scatter their cataract procedures in more than one room. Some folks actually have the femtosecond laser in the operating room. So I think there are different models. You just have to kind of find out what works best for you 
and your staff and the operating environment that you're in. Terry, I have used intraoperative aberrometry and I've seen the, the device give recommendations based on the, the formulas that it has built in. What is Analyze OR and is it an algorithm or, or, or regression system based on actual patient measurements and outcomes as opposed to just formulas? We're all familiar with intraoperative aberrometry. Um, and in this case, it's the Aura system uh, that we're referring to um, that works along with the Alcon Bacon Emulsification System. And really, Analyzor is actually the quote-unquote brain of the OR system technology. And this is where it utilizes dynamic algorithms that are powered by actual completed OR system technology cases. And it enables uh, a seamless kind of personalized surgeon factor optimization process as outcomes are collected and inputted into the system. And these optimization updates occur automatically on a quarterly basis and sent to every Aura system that's out there. And you can access your own count, review customizable outcome reports from any device, and it's a great way uh, to ensure that you're not usually not only collecting your own specific information, but comparing that to other surgeons globally that have used this lens and inputted outcomes data to ensure that you have uh, a more robust comparison to how it performs in a much larger series of cases to have better optimization of that lens constant. Terry, this was just great. Uh, There's a lot that I learned in this conversation, I mean, this is why I went into the field, because it's not static, and it's always at the at the edge, and it's always getting better and better and better. Well, Josh, I always appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the latest and greatest technologies out there, and I hope this helps uh, inform our surgeons out there so uh, they can always achieve to get a better outcome and a happier patient. Terry Kim is Professor of Ophthalmology at the Duke University Eye Center in Durham, North Carolina. Our thanks again to Alcon for sponsoring this podcast episode. Ask questions of Dr. Kim or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.